You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Before we get into this, I just, I don't want you to notice it in my tone and not understand what's going on. Um, Happy to be here, joyful to be here, um, grateful to be here, um, but there, there's, there's just heaviness in our community, and uh, I feel it. Uh, I, don't, I hadn't figured out a way to not feel it. Um, I feel it. Uh, there's just a lot, there's a lot of transition, hard transition, things that don't make a, a whole bunch of sense, and things that do make sense. And I'd rather they didn't make sense, right? There, there are some things that I get why it's happening, and I really wish I didn't understand why it was happening. Because the reason it's happening, it's not encouraging. It's sad. It makes me sad. There's just a lot of things happening, and there's just a lot of people that the Lord is uh, calling away. And that, that's, uh, that's, that's hard. Um, as a pastor, I think the thing I've gotten the most comfortable with is the reality that people, good people leave. That, that, is the, that is the lesson I've learned the most often as, as pastor, is that a lot, a lot of people that I envisioned in this with us are not a part of it. Um, and that's, that's tough, but that does not mean that the Lord is not working. Right. So don't hear that. That doesn't mean that the Lord is not moving, that he's not living and active, that he does not still have a plan. The Lord is all knowing. Yes, he's all knowing. So he knew what was coming today. Right. He knew what was coming yesterday and the day before and the day before. He knew what was going to happen before it happened. Before the dawn of time, he knew what was going to happen. And so the encouraging thing about that is that he knew what would face us today. And he spoke what he spoke yesterday. And the day before, and the day before, and the day before. If, if we were coming to a point where all things ended, what would have stopped first? His speaking. His provision. For a future. Right? He's not speaking of things that are, have come and gone. He's speaking of things that are to come. That's what he's been saying over the last several years. Things that are to come. That exist in his heart for us. And for this city. But there's also an interesting reality that we as Christians are not really good at coming into and understanding. The truth is, is is this the truth? Are we his hands and feet? Yes, we are his hands and feet anointed to usher in the kingdom. Does he do this without us? No. That's the reality that we need to understand. We as Christians are not good at it. Grasping that and letting that sink in. If we're his hands and feet, and his hands and feet refuse to move, what will be done? Nothing. Nothing will be done. So, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but this, this morning is not, we're not in, in one passage. We're not, there's not a passage that is the, that is the root of this. This, is real, this word comes from a conversation I've been having with the Lord over the last three years. Um, and 
So there's just things in it for us this morning. Our job, church, is to say yes to his lordship. For it is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. That we would say yes to the one who has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. That's what it is to say yes to his lordship. It's to say yes to the one that can do for me what I cannot do for myself. That has done for me what I cannot do for myself. And then when we do this, when we say yes, we say yes to his lordship. He sits on the throne of our lives. We have the opportunity to take up his authority. The authority that commands the grave. The authority that still works miracles. We get to take up resurrection power. We must first, we talked about this last week, we must first be quick to remember. We must be a people that are quick to recall on the things that God has done for us. She said, amen. If she gets it, you better get it. Right? He has done more for us. He has done more for me. I can't speak on your account, but you're living and breathing. So I know that the Lord is doing things for you and working on your behalf because you're here with us today. But I'll speak for me. The Lord has done more for me. He has done more for me than I could have ever imagined or ever measure. And I need to not forget it. We need to not forget it. We must be people that are quick to remember, to keep the works of God the things that he's done in our lives at the forefront of our mind to remember at all times that he is for me and not against me. Do you believe that he is not against you? He is not against you. He is for you. We, some, we find ourselves in circumstances and we no longer believe that. He is for you. Beyond anything we could ever see or measure, He is for you, not against you. And finally, we talked about it last week, we must take ownership of the garden, of the garden that He has placed you in and set you over. Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And he has done the same for every one of us. If you find yourself here, I don't care where you live. If you find yourself living where you're living, he has placed you there. Whatever community you're tied to, he has placed you there. As he placed Adam, he has placed you there to keep it, to take care of it. He has placed all of us in West Texas to preserve, to guard, to defend, to be aware of, and to steward these people and these cities that we're a part of to steward the place that we've been set over. But I can't steward that which I do not recognize as mine. This is, the, this is the root that is killing the church today. Is we do not take ownership of that which God has set you over. We give it to one person and one person alone. Or several people, but... It's a handful. It's, it's normally the heads and the staff of the church. This is, this is I'm, there's no condemnation in this. This is a conversation, okay? But I need us to recognize some things. <clears throat> How many of you know I have children? You guys were all there. What? You guys witnessed every single one of them. Isn't that crazy? You witnessed my family be grow to what it is today and by the way Eden is walking now (laughs) she did it in staff meeting on Tuesday 
the coolest thing in the world. She just decided, now's the time. I've got the attention. The focus is on me, which is what staff meeting is about. And she, she took her opportunity. She's a showman. She, she knows how to do it. She knows when the spotlight's there and when it's time to go. But she's walking now, uh, which is, I mean, you know, she's stumbling now. It's beautiful. Um, but you guys have seen all of this. But you know, even though Eden's walking, she's little, right? She's tiny. We've got three kids. Sarah's an amazing mother. Melissa has three children. Two of them are in high school. So you already know, those that have raised kids through that already know the insanity that is keeping up with a kid in Sundown, Texas. Especially one that wants to participate in anything. Because what ends up happening is they're like, oh, I kind of like that. Maybe, well, my friends are doing that too, and I'm going to do that. And then next thing you know, you're attending six different sporting events on a Tuesday. And that's just your life. That's Melissa's life, and it's wonderful. It's beautiful. And then she's also our children's minister. She's also subbing every opportunity she gets. She's raising an elementary school kid. And then at the end of the day, these ladies put these kids down to bed. And they will find themselves. Sarah says they come up and they kind of work in the evenings. I'm going to paint you a more clear picture. Around 9 o'clock, they get up here and they start working on that daycare. Because that's the time that they have. And that, they, they are the directors of this. But who voted this into existence? We did. So is it just theirs to do? No. Now, you can't be a part of what you don't know is happening. So that's not what I'm saying. But that has been the attitude of the Western church. Is that we are all for what the Lord is building. And we will vote for it and we will say yes to it. And the second action is required. Y'all got it. You're good. You do this. This is what you're paid for. This is not what we're paid for. This is not what ministry is paid for. Right? to do the work of God by themselves. But unfortunately, that is the nature of church today. It's that there are a handful of ministers and those handful are the ones that are to steward the kingdom of God into our cities. But my neighbors are not your neighbors. I don't know their hearts. I don't know their needs. You do, right? Can we, you all see where I'm going with this a little bit? Again, this is not a, a harp on the people in this room. This is just we need to recognize as a whole what is happening right now in our country. What is happening right now in the, in the church. There is great need. Great need for the people of God to do what they've been called to do. To steward and recognize that which is there. But we have refused as Christians that which God has given us. I want to tell you this story. There's a, a, a village a long time ago, uh, and they lived in a very they lived in a desolate place. It's just it's just where they were. The ground didn't yield much because it was so dry, and the journey to water was so long and exhausting and treacherous. By the time they would get back to the village with water, they only had enough to keep everybody hydrated. They didn't have enough for their crops. They didn't have enough for, for their livestock because the journey was so treacherous that they would end up needing the water before they even made it back to the destination that they are bringing the water back for. Can you imagine such a place? Such a desolate place, such a brutal place to where the journey to get water, and I don't know if you know this, but you need it. You need water. 
to live. That the journey would be so exhausting that you would have to use the water that is not intended for you just to keep you alive so that you can make it back home. And as, as it happens in, in the world today, we know that that's not the story for everybody and, and there just happened to be an organization that heard of the struggle that some people came into. They saw it, they saw the struggle, they recognized it and they look at their resources and they have everything these people need to totally transform the world that these people are living in. They have access to water. They have ways to transport it to where these people aren't having to do it. They have, they have knowledge and understanding of crops and soil and different things like that. They have limitless resources in comparison to these people that they find themselves amongst. Unlimited access to everything that these people need. So they come. They set up base for the resources to flow in with the instruction to give all to the village that flows into their camp. Everything comes in and it will flow out that these people could be blessed, that these pe- this, this land could be transformed. That's their job, right? How, we know of organizations that exist like this all over the world. That's literally what they do. They go into these places to transform the environment, right? Because they have the resources to do so. This is no different. But like I said, this is a treacherous and, and difficult place to be. And the people of this camp slowly began to recognize how, how treacherous the land was and it began to overwhelm them. They began to look at the circumstance of the land and the things that they were facing. And so what did they begin to do? They began to allow less to flow out until there was absolutely nothing that flowed out. Even though they had all the resources to transform the horrible land into a paradise, they still kept all that came in in the camp. And this went on for so long that this struggling village became so used to this group that was there to save them that they were told by this group that we will transform your land. They got so used to them refusing to give all that they had that they said originally was for them anyways. They got so used to it that they totally and completely stopped asking for help. They stopped seeing it as a place of hope and they went on in their struggle. It was just, it was like a tree that had been planted and grown up. Eventually you stop, you stop recognizing that it's there, right? We do this all the time, right? You see something every single day and you just stop noticing it, right? <clears throat> and this is what happened. Church, this is the story of the world and the people of God. This is the story of Sundown, Texas. This is the story of the city that we are in. We have been placed here to transform the land, but we are hoarding the resources. All has been given to us and we have refused to give to those around us because we refuse to take ownership. Church, no one, I've, I've just come to this harsh reality that no one else is coming. The Father sent us. He sent us. There there is no one else to come and do what He has anointed you to do. It's you and you alone. And if you don't do it, it doesn't happen. This is the reality that we need to understand as the church. We've lived in this fairy tale world that, well, if I don't do it, the Lord will take care of it some other way. 
No. Otherwise, what would be the point of accountability when you stand before the Father in the day of judgment and you offer him the works of your life and it's either precious gems and jewels or it's wood, hay, and stubble? Accountability doesn't exist in a world where the Lord just figures something else out when I choose not to be a part of it. That doesn't exist. Accountability exists in the world today and exists in our relationship between the Father. He desires accountability. He talks about accountability between the body of Christ, right? To hold each other accountable, to hold each other to the standard of Christ. To take accountability for the world that we find ourselves in. No one else is coming. The Father has sent and placed us here to freely give what has been freely given. 1 Corinthians 10, 24, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And that is missing today. I've, I've, you guys know this since my trip to Houston. Um, and just the, some of the messages that came from that. The desire to take care of one another is totally gone. It's gone. I was in Lubbock this week, and I don't know if you've been to Lubbock, but there is like serious construction going on on the loop. I say serious construction. I just mean there's a lot of cones and, and just cones in traffic. traffic, but no construct, just cones. It's like decoration. They're just, I don't know what they're doing. But so anyways, uh, I see it. Map shows me. I exit. And of course, everybody's exiting. People are flying across the bar ditch and all that good stuff. It's tons of fun. And I just happen to be driving with a big old stock trailer. So that's really fun um, because I can't slow down and a little bit of wiggle and I'm going to dent some Bentley and not be able to pay for it. Anyways. And I find myself in this line, bumper to bumper, waiting on the light. And there's turn lane right next to me, right turn only lane. And what do, you, what do you know is already happening? People are flooding that lane and they're just cutting everybody off. And I'm going in this brand new, beautiful, beautiful pickup. Comes screaming in. Cuts me off. And I'm slamming on my brakes. I promise you, I, there, you couldn't have fit a feather in between me and that truck. I thought, it's game over. And then that person starts yelling at me. I'm like, I don't, what do you want me to do? What do I do here? And she is letting me have it. I can't hear her, but she's, she's letting me have it. The butt chewing of a lifetime. And then she cuts and goes off. And I'm reminded again, what happened to our desire to take care of one another? I don't know what that lady had going on, but you know what she didn't know? That I had three babies at home that would be devastated if daddy didn't make it home because somebody needed to be a second in front of me to get to where they were going. but you already know where I'm going with this. How does society know and exist and behave like this if not first shown? And shown by who? By us. We have churches that are like like colleges that are literally rivals with each other, that are literally going head to head trying to steal each other's 
membership. I'm in ministry and I get a call at least once a month from a church trying to poach me out of this position. It has happened since the first week of me being hired as youth pastor here. I'm not kidding. Once a month, I get a call from some church offering me more money, offering me better circumstances, they think, to get me to leave and go pastor their church. They know nothing about me. But they would seek to leave you empty without a pastor. This exists in our world. The Christian people, the people of God have been the one that have put it on display because we care not for anyone but ourselves anymore. And we've taught it to the world around us. We as Christians, sons and daughters, have abandoned the desire to take care for one another. The people of God no longer care for one another. And I'm not saying that just, I'm not saying that about you in here because there are a lot of you that have cared for me deeply. But I need us to understand what we're facing in the, in the Western church today. There's no desire to care for one another. I don't know how many times, I could go right now and search on YouTube, Bill Johnson, who I know is a man that walks with the Spirit. I trust him. He's, he's mentored me. He doesn't know this, but he's mentored me for a lot of years. And the things that he speaks and the truth that he speaks that I find articulate in Scripture and that resonate in me, and I've had the Lord speak things to me, and then I've heard a sermon by him speaking the very thing that the Lord spoke to me two, three weeks prior. So I know he walks with the Spirit of God. But I can Google right now and find a thousand videos about how this man is not a man of God, but a heretic and a false prophet by other Christians. I used to do it too. I was in Houston. I grew up there. There's some big dogs up there. Big time pastors. And you know what I did for most of my time there? I spoke every ill thing I could speak about them. Knowing nothing about who they were. Knowing nothing about what has caused them to preach and speak the way they do. I do not know their story. And here's the reality. This is something Randy taught me. If I lived their life every day, every step that they took, I don't know that I would end up in a different place. Think about that the next time we condemn someone in our minds. Could you find yourself in a different place if you lived every day in their shoes? I don't think you could. We don't know what leads people to the place that, we're, that they're in, but we just can trust that they're in process and speak good things over them instead of horrible and, and belittling things. But that's what we've made a practice in the church today. To tear each other down. To tear each other down because I, what, it's like a running joke now, but it's really not that funny when you think about it. I grew up a Methodist. There are Baptist churches right now that if I said I grew up a Methodist, they'd be like, oh my gosh, you poor thing. You poor soul. And I could go, I guarantee you, I could go home to my Methodist church in Tulsa, Oklahoma that I grew up in or to Grace Fellowship in Katy, Texas, and I could say, I've been pastoring at a pre, what used to be a Baptist church. And they'd be like, whew, that's tough. But we make, we make fun of each other. I've been on mission trips. And the pastors have been like, oh, I know you guys are Methodists. I won't hold that against you. 
And it's, they're just trying to be funny. But at the end of the day, what the, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. You literally think, even though you're making a joke, you literally think less of that person because of the denomination that they're a part of. We have fostered. We have welcomed with open arms division in the house of God. And then we wonder about the state of things. Why, are, why is it the way that it is? And I'll tell you one of the, well, just hang with me. I, I need you to hear this too. I'm not in this place, church. Um, but I, I have found myself understanding why pastors leave ministry. This is, again, this is not where I am. I'm not going anywhere. I love it here. This is my home. Sarah and I have talked about this, but this is where we desire to live the remainder of our days on this earth. Is right here amongst you. We have no desire. So just rest assured in that. But I also understand why I have seen so many men and women of God that walk with the Spirit that have left the church. And we know that some of it is because they're operating in the cup instead of in the overflow and they, run at the, they just run into the end of themselves. They're trying to do things that the Lord has not given them to do. And I, I've done that. It's exhausting. And it leaves you burnt out. But that, being burnt out aside... This is a different reason. So many people in ministry leave because of the loneliness that they feel on a regular basis. The feeling that they are the only one invested in what the kingdom is doing in the community that they're in. I've, I've literally had pastors in my office that left because of that and they've articulated it. I just got tired of doing it by myself. And that guts me. That breaks my heart that they were so tired of ushering in all that we want to see alone. It's heartbreaking because that is not the design of this. It's a horrible feeling. This was something, Randy, you, I don't know if you all know this, but some of you do. Randy made me a book before I took over of lessons that I need to be ready for. I'm so grateful for that book. I look at it often. And one of those things was the loneliness. I was not ready for it. And it was intense. And it's really intense when it's in the middle of a pandemic and you, you're literally not allowed to see anybody. That doesn't help. But that loneliness, that lonely feeling that you're the only one. It's not true, but we can find ourselves believing this, tr this false truth, this lie, that I'm the only one that desires to see the kingdom come in sundown. That is not true. But it is not hard to get there. It's a horrible feeling. We, the church, must take ownership of where we have been placed. I was having a, just a, again, this is all from a conversation with the Lord. I was just having a conversation with the Lord after some things that have been highlighted this week and it's just like, Lord, there's just, there's no hope. There's no hope here. Every conversation I have about sundown, there's no hope in it. And the Lord said, 
whose job is it to show them what hope looks like? I'm like, mine. He's like, how can they know hope if there is no one to show them? They see hopelessness everywhere. Hopelessness is easy to understand. It's everywhere. But where are those that are standing firmly on hope and showing it to the world around them? And it's one thing to have hope and to say that I have hope, that I have hope for sundown. But who are you putting hope on display for? Has anyone seen it in you? Is anyone's recognizing that that's what that is? It's hope. I feel hopeless, but this person, no matter what happens, remains hopeful for what this community can be, for what West Texas can be. They're not shaken. They're continually hopeful. These are the displays that the Lord would have us put on. It's our job to hope. It's our job to dream of what, what West Texas can be. It's ours. It is the church's responsibility. It is not belong to the world. Do you, y'all in here, I know this has been a nickname for Sundown for a while, but what is the nickname to other communities when they're talking about Sundown? They don't call it Sundown. They call it Rundown, right? That, I've, I've heard that for a long time. When I'm talking to people or when I was coaching and talking to other coaches, they're like, oh, you're from Rundown, not Sundown. Where did that come from, though? Did we put on display a place that is not Rundown? Or what have we put on display? If, if, if we're full of hopelessness, are you going to see a place that is thriving? Mm-mm. We won't. We'll, we'll see it. And we've participated in that belief. They've spoken that identity over our city. And so many of us have just received it like, yeah, what can you do? You can do a lot. I'm telling you right now with minimal permission, I tore down a lot of things in Sundown. I really didn't ask. It's, it's incredible how many people I didn't ask. I just did it. I asked, we asked landowners, right? And then we went to Taryn. And the city was oftentimes the last to know what we were doing. Because we would just go do it. Because it's not their job to ask me to do it. And it's not their responsibility. This city appears run down because it is. I was having a conversation with uh, some TxDOT people this, this week. At the daycare, we've got a curb that we want gone, and we can't get it gone, and they can't tell me why. They're just like, no, you're not allowed. I'm like, why? I don't know. Sweet. Good talk. Thanks, buddy. And I started asking them, you guys were the ones that put all those ramps in on the corners, right? Like, yeah. It's like, why? What do you mean? Well, there's no sidewalks. There's just grass there that now we've got to take care of and water or it turns into a beautiful pile of dirt and weeds. Why'd you put that in? Oh, uh, I don't know. Sweet. 
Awesome. Great. Wonderful conversation. But this has been the heading of sundown. It's just kind of, eh, I don't know. It's just, eh, that might be, that might spruce it up a bit. I bet those things looked really cool when they were put in, but now they look really gross, covered in weeds. One of the things that I love about some of the people that are on our city councils that got them elected is they just started taking care of things like that. Not their responsibility to do. It was just ugly. And so they went out and they did it. But we get mad at different organizations for the shape of things. We get mad at different organizations for the shape of things while we sit back, church, while we sit back and we do nothing. Taking no ownership of the city that we're in. I don't care who fills city hall. I don't care. All I can say for certain is that the Spirit of God has placed me here. That's what I know. And therefore, it is my responsibility and my job to take ownership of the place that I've been set in. The place that he has placed me in. I want our city to have, have hope. But if we, the church, the people of God have none, how can they have any? I want new businesses to come to town. I want new families. I want new homes. I want a brand new Sundown, Texas. I want somebody that lived. I want. If Randy's listening, I love you, Randy. I want somebody that's lived here their whole life like Randy Winfrey to come back and visit and not recognize it. That's a good thing, right? Because that means we're growing. Not remaining stagnant. What happens to anything that ceases to move? It dies. What happens to water? Literally what fills 70% of your body, you can't go but days without it. What happens to water? The source of life on earth when it ceases to move. Even water dies. And the thing that gives life would bring about death. Think about that for a second. The very thing we need to survive if it ceases to move will kill us. It's profound. I want a new sundown that's full of hopes and dreams and endless possibility. And Jesus wants this, amen? amen. Do you believe that Jesus wants this for the city that you find yourself in? Yes. That he wants it for sundown. He wants it for Leveland. He wants it for Lubbock. He wants it for the places that we find ourselves in. He wants the kingdom of heaven ushered into these places. And the kingdom of heaven it does not exist in hopelessness. It does not exist without dreams. It does not exist without possibility. All within the kingdom of heaven, we find hopes, dreams, and a future. We find it in the kingdom. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Church, it can't just be Jesus in the field working the ground. We are to be next to him. It's not, and it's not about, this mentality has existed. I've, I don't, I've gone round and round with people having this conversation. But it's not about if I should or shouldn't have to do it. That's not my job. That person should be doing it. That mentality has to go away. It has to go away. Remove it from your mind. That, that mentality does not exist in the heart of God. 
If that mentality existed in the Father, Jesus would not have come. I didn't make them eat that fruit. I told them not to eat the fruit. They did it anyway. So what happens next is on them. It's not on me. He would have been right in saying so too. Because did he not say, don't eat from there? And what did we do? We're like, do, do, do. I'm going to do it anyways. No consequences. Do what I want. I know more than God. And then we had the fall of man into sin. For years and years and years and years, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years in sin. But Jesus took which was not his, became that which he did not do so that I could look more like him than the sin that I once carried. He took ownership of that which was not his to own. And he not only owned it, he bought it that I could never own it for myself again. That sin of mine will never belong to me again. It will never be mine again. The Lord has claimed it and taken it from me. It is his. It belongs to him. All I get is the benefit of Jesus, the grace and the mercy, the kindness. I get to be called a son of God. You get to be called a son of God, a daughter of God. We must remove this mentality and recognize that if you're saved, if you are alive in Christ, if he is your savior, if you are a son, if you are a daughter to the king, then what you see in front of you is yours to do. Period. It's yours to do. The Lord placed Adam in the garden and then he, he not only set him over it, but then he commanded him. He commanded him to keep it. He commanded him to watch out for it. He commanded him to steward everything that he found within it. It is, is a commandment from God to us. This city does not change, it does not grow, and it does not become without the people of God to lead it, to work the land, to change the hearts and minds of the people within it, to see what is truly possible. It is us, and it is held in our hands. You know this, I've already said this. I love this city, I love West Texas. I'm not keen on the spring right now. I would like to be done with that because the wind is super annoying and it only blows on days I have plans to be outside. Any day I'm inside, it's beautiful. Any day I want to go outside, it's like monsoon season for dirt. It's awesome. I came from hurricane country. Sometimes I wish for hurricane country. At least there's moisture, right? I got... I got the wonderful opportunity to work, on, work and move some cows around on Friday. And uh, I wore my snow goggles so that I could see. They were effective, but the whole time I'm sitting there like, I'm literally wearing snow goggles in the middle of spring just to keep dirt out of my face. So I love West Texas. I could deal with some of her toxic traits to be gone away, but it is what it is. Sarah and I love West Texas. We love this city. I'm telling you, we have 
said time and time again, if the Lord were to remove us, he would remove us kicking and screaming and clawing at the ground. Because we do not want to leave. Our heart is here. Deeply, deeply rooted in this place. I tell everybody all the time how wonderful it is here. And then they come and they're like, what? But it's wonderful. I love it. I bleed it. I mean, you, you know, I came here. I was an OU fan. I'll literally go. I have more Texas Tech gear now than OU. I, I just shut up. Just let me finish, Hunter. Golly. I'm right there with you. All right. Me and Liam went to the Tech OU game this year and we rooted for the Red Raiders the whole time. Okay. Because we love everything about this place. We love it. We love it. We, des- we desire wonderful and amazing things for it. And we, we, we desire to never leave it. This is our heaven on earth. It's this, it's this place. But we cannot change it alone. I am your pastor and I will be your pastor until the Lord removes me from this place. I will be your pastor. I love being your pastor. But I cannot usher in the kingdom of God by myself. I cannot change sundown alone. I need you. We're in this together. We're meant to be in this together. I, again, I want to live here the rest of my life amongst all of you, but not in the same state that we find ourselves in right now. I want the kingdom of heaven when I go to be with my Savior in glory on that day that he calls me home. I want it to look familiar because we ushered that kingdom in here on earth. I don't want it to be a foreign place. I want it to be a familiar place that feels like home because the kingdom of heaven was ushered in to sundown into West Texas by the people of God while we had breath in our lungs that we could go home to our Savior in glory and we would find ourselves in a familiar place, not an unfamiliar place. Right now, it would be an unfamiliar place. We've got to have hope. We've got to be the ones that put hope on display. If you see something needing to be done, you saw it. So it's yours to do. If you need help, call me. I'm there. But this move of God He is not going to do it for us. He only desires to do it with us. If we desire to see sundown transformed, he has no desire to claim the transformation alone. He wants us to see what happens when we participate and co-labor with him in what it will produce. He's a good father. He does not want to rob us of the process of participation. I love my, where my boys are at right now. I'm just getting to teach them stuff. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't know we were going to be this, but we have become, we're big baseball people. I love, I've always loved baseball, but I thought football was going to be the thing that I pushed my boys towards, and it's just not. Baseball is just really a lot. I just have a lot of fun. We just have a ton of fun, and my kids love it, love it. And it is so fun to teach them and to coach them and then watch them 
transform and to put it all together through that process. That process is fun. I was noticing uh, a couple weeks ago, this, it's always very frustrating for dads when you start playing catch with your kid because you're not playing catch, you're playing fetch, right? There, there's, if the ball hit your glove, you would almost stop and begin to celebrate. And if the ball landed in their glove, I mean, praise God, let's stop now. Heaven has come down, right? So it's just fetch. But I was out there just messing around before one of Kai's games with Liam. And Sarah's like, you're really throwing it really hard at him. And I hadn't even noticed because I'm, I'm screaming it at him and he's just catching it and screaming it right back. And I'm like, oh man, the joy of the process, right? The joy of the process. Kai is my Tasmanian devil. He is chaos incarnate. He has access to it like no one else. And so now imagine that with a bat in his hands. It's terrifying. For the first couple of weeks, I, I could not pitch it to him without flinching as he swung because I was not convinced that that bat was not coming with the ball. But just in the last two games, he started to, it started to click, the process. And he's starting to do it. He's starting to look like he knows what he's doing a little bit. And I share all of this because it is a joy for our father to be a part of the process with us. And he has no desire to remove us from that process. He wants to co-labor with you because it is so fun for him to see you see the fruit of your labor, the fruit of the process. He wants to be a part of it with us so he will not do it without us. And there is no one else coming. For sundown. It's us. We are here. And you have every resource. You have every power and authority. If he is the Lord of your life. To totally and completely transform this city. Into a paradise of the kingdom. You have that ability. But we must take ownership of the place that God has put us in. And he has placed us here in sundown. He has placed you just as he has placed me. You may not be in a ministry position, but you are still a son of God. You are still a daughter of God. And he is making his appeal through you. He is not just simply making his appeal through those that are at the head of the church, the local body. He is making his appeal through you just as much, if not more, than me. People expect me to talk about Jesus. I'm a preacher. It's literally the job. But he is making that same appeal through you. We must take ownership. We must have hope. They will not ever have hope if we do not put hope on display. We must be. We must be the change that we desire to see. If you want to see change in sundown, be the change you want to see in sundown. It starts right there. I have to be the change I desire to see. You have to be the change you desire to see. And it doesn't count if you're just the change at your house. You've got to be the change where people see. I'm not saying stand on a street corner and preach the gospel. I'm saying just love and be kindness. 
to all those around you and search for every opportunity to establish the goodness and kindness of God. The enemy is constantly looking for someone to devour. So why are we not constantly looking for someone to lift up? For someone to establish in the kingdom of heaven, to establish kindness and love and mercy and forgiveness towards someone. The enemy is not stopping. Why do we? Let us constantly be on the prowl to establish kindness in someone's story. To establish kindness in the city. You can establish kindness in a patch of grass. Just because you love the people in it and you want this place to look and reflect the love that you have for those that are here. And you will transform the ground. And people will run to it. Because what they've found here is hope where they cannot find anywhere else. But if we do not put hope on display, how can they ever see it? No one else is coming to do it for you. It is you and you alone. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.